Joining me on the comms chat today, we have Chris Tucker, a highly experienced PR consultant, crisis communications trainer, and media trainer. Chris is a course leader for the CIPR Crisis Communications Specialist Diploma and hosts a number of crisis communications network group webinars. She touches on topics ranging from whether AI is a threat or opportunity for crisis comms to not letting sustainability become your next crisis. Chris and I met two years ago when I took on my own crisis comms diploma and I found her sessions really inspiring and informative. She's a lady who is incredibly knowledgeable of our industry and has a number of stories to tell about handling crises. We're excited to share today some insights on current trends, lessons learned, and Chris's experience in some tricky circumstances. So let's get going. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chloe, for having me. Fabulous. So let's start by giving our listeners just a brief overview, if possible, on your background and experience in the field of crisis comms. Of course, yes. Well, in terms of working in PR generally, um, I, I appear to have clocked up at least 30 years. I, I should really have stopped counting well before then. It's uh, it's quite frightening. And obviously, a huge amount has, has happened in the industry over that time. I, I actually began my career in the uh, in the charitable sector. I then went into the public sector and, and ended up uh, in the financial services sector, which uh, surprised a lot of people who uh, who knew me uh, and perhaps even really surprised myself, but I loved it. I loved that sector. I, I ended up working at Barclays as their director of PR. So I picked up crisis experience along the way, but I think it was really at Barclays that um, I really saw um, major crises um, uh, unfold, uh, as it were. And the thing about banks is obviously they're at the heart of not just the economy, but most other things in society. And I mm. remember one day, um we were reading the newspaper i think it was at the time an outbreak of foot and mouth disease on farms um and the dreadful impact this was having on farmers and on the animals that they looked after and i remember reading it on my way to the office thinking oh that's absolutely awful turned up there's a major crisis meeting going on because what i failed to realize is that the bank actually banked one in four farmers so this was a crisis for our customers and it was a crisis for the bank uh, and it just brought it home to me that, you know, really working for a major bank, there are very few things that happen in society and the economy that you won't get involved in. So um, that was a very interesting time for me. And I and I learned a lot. So would you say that that was probably one of the biggest standout crisis situations that you were directly involved with in your career? Probably not. I mean, that was that was a bit of an eye opener in terms of, as I say, something that I hadn't made the connection to us. Um, I think there were a number of standout um, crises. Uh, one that particularly sticks in mind because it was dreadful, obviously, is 7-7. If you yeah. remember that, the mm-hmm. uh, bombs exploded on London Underground um, and on a London bus. Uh, I was I was actually going into work that day and I was late because I'd had a dental appointment. Um, but the minute I got to London, so the city, I knew there was something happening. And I was probably one of the last people on the trains going into Canary Wharf, which was where Barclays was headquartered at the time. My goodness. By the time I got there, it was clear that there was something uh, dreadful going on. We had a couple of thousand people in the building uh, in goodness. Canary Wharf um, and Canary Wharf was locked down. Yeah. So it was all about how on earth are we going to communicate with the people in the building at the time who were worried about their families who were not in the building as well as worried about how on earth they were going to to get home. Um, and in those in those circumstances, um, the, the normal ways of communicating never seemed to be available. Mobile phone lines were down. Yeah. Um, internet was down. Um, it's quite interesting, actually. The crisis management team swung into action at the bank, obviously being a large organisation. That process Brilliant. was quite well established, and I learned a lot to actually see how that worked. 
Um, and the uh, chief operating officer who headed it up had a wide number of people in the team, including people who understood how the building worked. This was very interesting because as a communications person, I was, how are we going to get a message to these couple of thousand people? All the normal lines are down. And uh, one of the maintenance people said, well, if you stop the lift, you can actually go in the lift and you can activate a speaker that enables you to speak to everybody on every floor. So that's what we did after wow. every crisis management team meeting. Myself and one of the directors stepped into the lift, stopped the lift and uh, told our people where we were with getting them home. So that's amazing. Uh, it, it's not something you're likely to, to forget. Um, and it just shows you really how in a crisis situation there are people who have bits of the jigsaw puzzle in terms of how to respond that may not be the most obvious people. Um, but uh, getting messages out when normal channels are down is, is one of the key challenges to, to think about, I think, when you're planning your, your crisis comms. So when when you guys decided that obviously the lift was was a was a great option for you guys, was that part of your initial, um, you know, playbook as we've sort of, you know, we obviously we have that crisis playbook, how, how we're going to handle these situa- situations. Was that a part of it or was that just off the? Off no, the no, it just turned out that that was something that we were unaware of. But it does yeah. bring to mind a part of your crisis comms planning is who do you need to speak to and what are the channels you're going to use to speak to them? You know, two key bits, um, key steps, as it were, in putting together your crisis comms plan. Um, and as I said, you know, remember that uh, you know, crisis can happen at any time and the normal channels may not be available to you. But even if the usual channels are available to you, when I go into organisations and talk to them about um, crisis comms planning, they're often not aware of how many channels they have and who owns those channels and who has the passwords to those channels and how you can activate those channels. So do 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 a channel audit and a stakeholder audit as part of your crisis communication planning. Absolutely, absolutely crucial. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I completely agree. I think that's that's such an interesting uh, situation. And I think when people are thinking on their feet in a, in a, in a time like that, that's actually so where some of the best ideas do come out of, obviously, once having a plan as well, which is great. But sometimes it's it's in the moment as well, isn't it? Um, just going on to sort of changing media landscape. So obviously, crisis communication strategies evolve with the media landscape. Could we have a chat about some of the some of the current trends of emerging challenges that you've observed recently? Uh, well, I think um, you know, coming back to, to channels, really, obviously, the rise of social media and the impact that social media has had on crisis communications it, it's really not something that can be ignored. I mean, the most obvious impacts have been the speed. I mean, we used to talk about the golden hour; you'd have an hour to come up with your response. Well, that kind of long gone, and again, that shows us how important the preparation really is. So that you know, the speed of social media and the reach of social media um, mm. is absolutely huge, and and also, of course, you know, the, the polarizing nature of social media in a crisis situation. I mean, part of always dealing with a crisis, unfortunately, is people want to know who's responsible. They want to know who the goodies are and who the baddies are as such. Um, but those decisions are made very, very quickly on on social media. And I think that's a that's a real challenge. One thing just to, to sort of point out, I've just been reading this morning, the um, Charity Commission has just published some guidelines on social media for charities. And okay. we can all think of been a couple of examples recently where charities have faced criticism for what has been said on social media. So it's worth digging those out. Although they're aimed at charities, I think they're quite useful for most all of us to kind of, you know, think what our what our policies actually actually are. I mean, social media has been with us a long time, clearly. 
But I still see many organisations that don't really understand, particularly in a crisis, how it works strategically and, and park social media over there with, you know, a group of people who are not necessarily integrated into you know, the, the entire strategic comms news flow, as it were, for the organisation. And that's a real risk. So, again, you know, this, this communication audit, including yeah. social media, I think is absolutely key. And another thing as part of that, obviously, is um, the rise of AI as well, isn't it? So, I mean, we you guys as the crisis network recently hosted your webinar on whether it was a threat or an opportunity during a crisis I mean what was the outcome of that I mean it's a difficult one it's something that we're all having to live with at the moment um and you know some of us are nervous of it and some of us are embracing it so obviously during a crisis that's another thing that we need to kind of have a think about as well now these days yeah absolutely and I think really that the jury is is out in terms of you know where uh, we can use um, AI when it comes to crisis communications. I mean, one of our speakers on that uh, at that webinar was talking about the use he had made of um, of AI in natural disasters, where you know speed is of the essence. And he was using AI to you know help him identify stakeholders, messaging, and so on. Not determine it, but slice and dice. You know, which is something we all do. Obviously, we agree what the common messaging is, what the crisis narrative is, but we have to adapt it to the various stakeholder audiences. And he reckoned it had saved him a significant significant amount of time which does make a very big difference particularly when you're dealing with the nature the type of crisis that he he deals with which are natural disasters but then you know we we, we can also see you know, issues around AI in terms of you know the ethics of using AI uh, there was that famous example recently of um, North American University using AI to draft a statement, you know, in the wake of um, a crisis situation. And it was very obvious that's where it had come from. And obviously, one of the first rules of crisis messaging is compassion, yeah. empathy and so on. And, and using AI to write your messaging hardly does that. So there's a lot to unpack there and there will be a continuing amount of of debate, you know, as 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 well. If actually, if you've done a LinkedIn post recently, and it, it prompts you, do you want to use AI or do you want to write your own post? It does. Oh, I, I want to write. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's everywhere, and we haven't really come to grips with it. The um, the PR Council of the US they published some quite interesting guidelines on the use of AI for PR professionals, which I would apply to okay. crisis comms professionals as well. So as with your social media policy, you need to start thinking through your AI policy. In fact, the PR this week have published an interesting paper as well. So there's a lot out there. And I, I'm afraid, sorry, I'm adding to the reading list here. But uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to do to, to keep up to speed with all these developments. Absolutely. I think the reading list, as you say, it's incredibly important for all of us as PR practitioners. I mean, the landscape is changing so dramatically and we're not ever going to really be able to keep up. So, I mean, the more that we can be educating ourselves in these areas, I think the better, and especially during a crisis as well. I think that that new book is always going to be changing. So, okay, valuable lessons. Just want to speak to you about valuable lessons. So, uh, this is, I think this is quite a broad question, actually. This is quite hard. But my question really is about what are some of the valuable lessons that crisis situations often teach us about effective communications, but obviously primarily reputation management. I think that's a difficult one. Have you got any valuable lessons that that you've sort of learned? Well, one of the areas that I've been particularly interested in and where I think there are a lot of valuable lessons is around the psychology of crisis communication, particularly when you're working working with senior leadership teams, as I've done on many on many occasions, um, because as a consumer of media and as a watcher of crises, we often think, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just say that? But when you're actually in the room, um, you realise you know, the psychological aspects. For a senior leadership team, often when a crisis happens, it's very similar to the stages of grief. It's, yeah. this can't have happened. Well, that's not fair. 
that's not right it's not our fault and you have to as a communication crisis communications person get senior leadership team through that to actually get them to focus on the practicalities and the importance of who they need to focus on and very very quickly and of course you just want to get on with it as a crisis communicator we've written the plan we've got the plan we just want to do it but you have to get senior leadership team they have to come with you they have to be with you yeah and so sometimes you do have to just stand back and it might seem like an eternity hopefully it's not an eternity because you haven't got that log sometimes you have to just stand back and wait until their head catches up with the reality of where the organization actually is and it's it's an interesting thing to to watch and then also of course from those impacted by the crisis situation you know the whole psychology there we talk about instructing information and adjusting information as what we as communicators need to get out to our stakeholders Mm. in a crisis situation instructing is what do you need to do and how do you do it you know uh in a natural disaster it might be a boil water take shelter whatever it might be yeah but the adjusting is the more psychological where people are thinking well what does this mean for me how long is this going to go on for what's my role in in all of this how do I actually well I'm not going to get back to normal until the crisis has passed but how do I continue to function absolutely and that's quite interesting all the the psychological aspects you know that's something that's not often addressed I think it's really interesting I think it's absolutely it's always we know that there's a lot of interest in behavioral psychology and PR we're seeing a nudge and so on but applying that to crisis situations I think is something I've seen and I'm interested in and you know I'd like to see more work and research done there. Absolutely I think there was a webinar that I sat on from your crisis network that we were talking a little bit more about the psychological side and it's actually nothing that I've really sat and focused on before and I think it was really important because as you say I mean we're all human at the end of the day we all have very real emotions when you're sat in a crisis and, and being able to understand the difference between you know somebody is reacting to this in an emotional way and also but but we understand that we have a plan that we have to get onto I think is highly important um Mm. it is very interesting is there any (laughs) to add to our reading list is there any books that we can be thinking of is there any books that we should be reading to learn more about this put you on the spot for that one (laughs) yes I mean there are some uh there there are some crisis theorists that are very interesting um Timothy Coombs's work um very famous um writer um on um, crisis communication and his work addresses some of these issues because it, it looks at how we can draft messaging within the parameters of the reputation the organization already has. So there's a very big difference from messaging for an organization where you know there's been crisis after crisis after crisis, as opposed to one where this is really rare and unusual. Um, so this whole idea of um, the cushion of goodwill, as we, we sometimes talk about it, and how that you know enables you to establish a backdrop for your crisis messaging and I think that's really all about psychology so that's an interesting place to start. Okay so getting into the nitty-gritty of crises then so um, I'm just skipping a couple of questions only because we've we've sort of covered them but striking a balance between sort of transparency and protecting sensitive information can obviously be challenging during a crisis Um, how do you navigate this delicate balance between maintaining public trust but also safeguarding your organization's interests I think this is quite a big one it is a it is a huge issue and um, I think coming from a, a banking background it's one that I came across all the time because you know banks do have a duty to respect the confidentiality of their clients um, but then again um, it may well be that the client has raised the issue in the first place and there is an expectation yeah. that you will engage but you know these things are quite finely and strictly regulated and obviously we can see what happened recently with the NatWest affair 
when yes. Alison Rose stepped down. I mean, as somebody who's worked in banking for many years, I was quite surprised to hear of a senior banker talking to a journalist about a client's account. Yes. Even if the client had put that information themselves in the public domain. And I think it just shows us, doesn't it, really, you know, that how easy it is to kind of make those mistakes. So the obvious thing is to be clear on what your obligations are. If you're in a regulated environment where those obligations are quite clear, then make sure you know them. If not, then think through how this applies to you. I mean, you could imagine if you're working for a charity, for example, which I did, mm-hmm. dealing with people who are very vulnerable um, and requests from, for example, the media, or we want to speak to somebody who suffers from this condition or has had this experience. And, you know, what are the rules regarding how that actually works? And at all times put the client at the centre of that, even if they're really, they really want to do it, if they really want to tell their story, how does that work? What are your obligations? And that's always, always got to come first. And I think if you explain that clearly what the obligations actually are and why you are acting in the way you are, we would like to talk to you about this, but you need to understand this is the world that we operated in. This is why it's fair and right and moral for us to do these things. I think that's, you know, that helped. Well, we all know, don't we? No comment without any explanation. You know, it's, not great. It's really not, 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 <laughs> not great. Not a good look. Um, and I, I talked to a lot of journalists who cover crisis. I was talking to a BBC journalist um, a little while ago. And he said, oh, I know that organisations think in a crisis we're out to get them. Yeah. But really, that's not the case. I mean, he was speaking for himself and the BBC, I'm sure. But he was saying, no, what, what we want to do is to establish the facts and communicate the information to our viewers, listeners, readers, that they need to know this instructing and adjusting information. So, for you, it, it's a difficult situation to be in dealing with the media in, in a crisis. But you know, don't always assume they are out to get you. They are there doing a job in the way that you are also doing a job. And in fact, they are a very useful channel and conduit to your stakeholders to get that mm. narrative and that information across. So I think that's, you know, that's quite a valuable, a valuable lesson to learn. It's a really interesting point, actually. And I think uh, obviously when we're, we're looking and we're, we're obviously always watching and, and horizon scanning for types of situations that could, could occur for any of our clients, it's really difficult to not assume, isn't it, that the media is out to get you when you see certain crises where they're, you know, clickbait titles and all of those sorts of things, which appreciate, yes, they're doing their job, but they, you do know to some extent that they're doing it for clickbait and things like that in certain areas, obviously, it's not it's not, not across the board. Um, so I think that's really interesting. It's a, it's a nice comment for you to have heard, I, I suppose, as well, that they're not out to get you. And actually, that's kind of brings a bit of comfort from my side, I think, as well. Um, because it hasn't always felt like that in the past. <laughs> no, no, and it, and it doesn't. And I take your point. And again, you know, this is reflective of the changes we've seen in the media landscape. Absolutely, you, you yeah. To, to, to clickbait. And obviously we have seen that. But I wouldn't assume that they're all out to get you. I really no, of wouldn't. Course. <laughs> but you know, the other side of the coin, you know, having worked with organisations when they say, well, this is, just isn't fair. And you have to kind of sit them down and say, actually, it is. Yes. It is fair. <laughs> uh, you've done this. You own it. Deal with it communicate apologize if that's what's required put in place new procedures and policies you know it I, I tend to find that there are you know that a mistake has been made um a decision has been taken perhaps sometimes with good intentions not properly thought through etc yeah. etc et and, and it is often the case for us as communicators it, it's getting the organization to own the decision that they've made that's led to the crisis 
Absolutely. And just touching back on your previous comment about obviously when working with charities and you mentioned vulnerability, I think um, my next question was around crisis situations that can be emotionally charged. So in your opinion, how important is it for organisations obviously to convey empathy and having a human touch in crisis comms? And also, would you have an example of when this approach was a particularly effective, perhaps in a situation that you've been working through with a, with a company? Uh, it, it's absolutely key. Um, and again, you know, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier on, you know, the, the psychology, as it were. You know, if you are impacted, if you are a victim, uh, you want to be acknowledged as such. You would then want uh, the, the organisation to communicate with you, to you with compassion and empathy, understanding, mm-hmm. owning what has happened. I think victims want to be recognised by the organisation. And that that's absolutely key. I think it's not one I was I was involved with, but I use in training and it might be worth digging out is, is how Alton Towers handled um, that dreadful uh, incident that yeah, happened when some young people yeah. dreadfully injured on one of their on one of their roller coasters. They were out very quickly. They didn't have all the facts, obviously. Uh, but what they did convey was you know, real concern and empathy and commitment to getting to the bottom of what had happened and putting it right. They used the same spokesperson over and over again. Um, and in, in fact, I have heard since from um, others that were involved in handling this, that that particular executive stayed very close to the unfolding tragedy, not just on the day, but subsequently. I mean, a lot of these crises have a very long tail, as it Indeed, were. Indeed, yeah. Tribunals, inquiries, anniversaries, etc. And he remained involved throughout um, and showed a real Amazing. commitment to, to the victim. So, it is about compassion, it is about empathy, it is about commitment to find out what had happened and to put it right and to own up if indeed it was the organisation at, at fault. That's what victims and, and those impacted by crises are are looking for. You know, that, that acknowledgement delivered in a compassionate and empathetic way. And again, this is you an organisation sometimes think, well, we don't know everything, so we can't say anything not the case no, it's really not and if you don't then others will jump in we all know about the vacuum that sucks in commentators on a crisis you have to own your own narrative you have to be in your own story or people will and fill even it in if for that you. just mean exactly or people fill it in for you so even if that's just confirming the facts but doing so with empathy and compassion and a commitment to get to the bottom of what's happened you know that's not about the actual facts which you don't know but, you know, you are there in the story and conveying that you really care. That's absolutely crucial. That's brilliant. So just to end our lovely podcast today, I wanted to ask, and this, I hope, I don't know if you've prepared for this question. It might be uh, uh, one to just go straight into. But if you were to distill your years of experience into a single piece of advice, what would you say is the most important thing for organisations to remember when facing a crisis and communicating through it? And that is a hard question, I know. <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, well, I, what I'm going to say is, is not, actually not mine. It was something that was told to me many years ago by a, a crisis um, expert who'd been around for a long time. And he said, the one piece of advice is always put the victims at the heart of everything you do. So whatever you say, whatever you do, however you say it, however you do it, what is that going to look like? to the victims and those who are impacted. And if you look at it through that lens, then you shouldn't go far wrong. Now, that sounds really trite, but it's actually quite difficult to do when you're dealing with very powerful executives and a multiplicity of issues and the complexity 
that you know is often a crisis but you know it is often down to us down to the communicators to say yeah we know all of that but let's just put at the heart of this the people who are impacted let's start from them and we move out from there so I think that is probably and has been very useful to me throughout throughout my career and I hope it will be of use to others as well. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, this has been a very exciting conversation for myself, let alone hopefully for lots of our listeners from now. But um, I appreciate you coming on um, and to making time on your busy schedule because I know you've got lots going on at the moment. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chloe.